across the country and around the world. This is TalkZone.com, the best in Internet talk radio. Welcome back to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber. Our guest today, Waleed Shubat, author of Why I Left Jihad. So it seems to me that, um, i got two questions here. Um, the Muslims are supposed to pray five times a day to the black star, the fallen black star meteor in Mecca, I guess is what it is, and I'd like to hear more about that. And uh, why, when the, you have the annual Hajj, is there usually hundreds of people that are killed? <laughs> uh, the second one is... is, is it's nauseating because it's a stampede that they have. Uh, the first one, Muslims claim they don't worship the black stone. In fact, the Khalifa, uh, Abu Bakr, after the death of the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, uh, he says, I, I, the only reason I kiss you is because the Prophet Muhammad kissed you. Uh, but we have to go back and why they bow towards it. You would never bow towards something unless it's significant to you. 1.3 billion Muslims from all over the globe bowed towards Arabia and the Black Stone. That tradition came from the worship of Aphrodite uh, way before uh, the advent of Islam. Uh, uh, the worship of Aphrodite was basically uh, worshipping even the uh, sex symbol. In the case of the Black Stone, if you look at the opening where people put their heads in the black stone to see to kiss the black stone. Mm-hmm. Go to any uh, let's say Google, Google images. If you go to Google images and you put black stone, look at the opening where the people put their heads to kiss the black stone. Yeah. And it it, it depicts exactly a. I, I don't want to say it on the. Maybe I can say it on the air. The the woman's private the vagina. Okay. And that's what it is because it was originally. A worship of Aphrodite. In fact, oh. they they would have uh, uh, sexual orgies uh, before the advent of Islam, and they go around it seven times naked in the nude. In fact, these things uh, are documented in the Islamic Hadith or the or the you know annals of Islam as documented by the yeah. Prophet of Islam Muhammad. And they said, as they used to do it, we did it. So if you look even at the covering or the the shroud the, that they put around their waist, and they're only, I mean, all of them are practically naked. They just have these shrouds covering their bodies. And if you look at ancient Babylonia, you will find the same things with the worship of the moon god. You have this simple shroud around the shoulder and shroud around the waist and this kind of thing. So all these things are nothing new. The, you know, and it goes back also to the worship of Baal. The worship of Baal, the horn, the moon, mm-hmm. crescent moon, all comes from uh, pre-Islam, from from Babylonia. In fact, in, in Isaiah, it talks about Baal, Baal, Nebo stoops. You know, uh, I think it's Isaiah 40. I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot the chapter. But okay. You know, Baal, Baal, Nebo stoops, and it talks about this. The symbol was hanging on the beast's necks. And what was hanging in the camel's necks and the beast's necks of ancient time were the crescent moon. And that was also mentioned uh, in the story of Gideon when he killed Zeb and Zalmunna. And it says he plucked away the crescent moons from the camel's necks because they would place these objects of uh, reverence in the highest places. So that in this case it will be in the camel's necks in the ancient mm-hmm. times. Today you'll see it on the minarets. The minarets right. themselves resemble the obelisk. 
Well, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, I notice when I connect with the moon the most since I was a kid is when it's a full moon, I really connect with it. And I think that's the glory of the moon, and I think the moon is an, a feminine influence. And I think the Muslims, the symbolic of the sliver of the moon, the crescent, and also they sort of banish women from being respected very much, I think sort of are both doing the same thing. It's like the moon is also shaped like the blade of a sword. So yeah. it's too masculine, and we're just leaving the feminine completely out. And you do that very long, and you're going to have an over-aggressive, brutal people. Yes, because in their view, the feminine uh, is only for the production of life. You know, their duty is only to produce life. Yep, yep. And this is why in, in the Muslim world, uh, if a woman basically gets a divorce, the husband ends up with the children. Not, it's, it's in reverse. So because the seed, the seed belongs to the male. It's not hers. She's only the, uh, she's only the, uh, I don't know, how do you say, when yeah. you have, uh, when you have uh, artificial uh, fertilization. Yeah, right, right. She's an incubator. Right, right, yeah. right. So yeah. you're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, our guest today, Waleed Shobat author of Why I Left Jihad. You know, the problem with that, of course, is in this country and in other countries, women are finally beginning to get the equal partnership that should be. And the problem with Islam is there is no equal partnership. That would be fine, except for Islam wants to own the world and have everybody be Islam. So all the progress we've made in the Western world of acknowledging men and women equally uh, the Islam would like to wipe out and go back to men dominating in a most horrible fashion. Yes, yes, that's right. Even the Muslims will disagree with us. They, got, they always claim that oh, Islam treats women equally. Okay, I have one question that no Muslim can answer. And the question is, if it's true that men and women are equal, why is it that a Muslim male can marry a Christian female but a Muslim female can never marry a Christian male. The answer is obvious. It's a male chauvinistic society. Sure it is. You see? Now, if the Muslim wants to argue that point, maybe he can come with a statistic of the marriages that are out of the faith. Somebody marries a non-Muslim from the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. Calculate how many men married non-Muslim women and calculate from that same pool, how many women, Muslim women, married non-Muslim males? You will find out it's 99.99%. Wow. So, you know, I'm starting to notice uh, Sharia law creeping up, like in the United States, in Canada, in various parts England, around the world. Everywhere. It's It's scary. And isn't this the ugly head of the Antichrist starting to surface and let itself be known worldwide. Absolutely, because a lot of the Western analysts ignore certain aspects in the book of Daniel, specifically talking about the Antichrist spirit or the Antichrist system. It says he doesn't honor the gods of the scholars, and this will honor the fortune a god. What they don't also continue is that he will declare war against the strongest of fortresses with the name of this foreign god. 
That is significant. In Daniel, that makes all the difference. The way it's saying is that the entity of this Antichrist is not the strongest entity in the world. It declares war against the strongest fortresses. Western thinking thinks that Antichrist will rule the entire globe and he will be in the strongest country in the world because he has to be the superpower. Well, that's not true. Osama bin Laden declared war in America. He's not the strongest person in the world. Right. And he declares this battle with the name of this foreign god, and he'll advance the cause of his god by war. And that's very significant. And he attempts to change times and laws. He doesn't succeed in changing the laws of the entire globe. This is why the text is very strict. It says he attempts to change the times and the laws. He will succeed certain places, and he will fail in other places. I don't think that they will succeed in the West. However, they will succeed in the 1040 window in which the Bible tells us the scope of his rule. I, you know, there's a lot of people out there that stand by the notion that if we would just negotiate properly, if we could just get better, be better negotiators, that we could turn this problem around. We wouldn't need to be in Iraq. We wouldn't need to be on our toes about terrorists. If we could just just negotiate better, we could get the problem to yeah, go away. Yeah, what's wrong with us? Yeah, what, what's our problem? So you think there's any reasonable possibility of negotiating with these people? Well, it's been asked and answered. In other words, it's been tried and it failed. The world did do this experiment in many places. We've done this experiment from the eons of time during the Crusades, Salah al-Din. They've had peace treaties and they reneged on the peace treaties. We've had these things with Gaza. You know, if only the Israel pulls out of Gaza, what happens? You have the birth of Hamas, a more, you know, the most radical element of Islam, was born as a result of pulling out of Gaza, pulling out of Lebanon. Israel pulled out of Lebanon. Okay, let's have a truce. Let's have a cessation of hostilities, as Condoleezza Rice demanded. What did we get? We got a declaration of victory by Hassan Masrallah, Hezbollah in Lebanon. In fact, just today and yesterday, you see in the media, Hezbollah is basically uh, beginning to control Beirut, the capital yep. of Lebanon. Yep. Tra- so expanding. And it, it's happening exactly as, as I told you in the previous programs. I told right. you, I've made it publicly clear for years, Lebanon, which is a Christian country, will turn to become an Islamic state. I've said it, Palestine will become an Islamic state. I've said Turkey will become an Islamic state. And indeed, they happened. So, we have, uh, I think, something that uh, a lot of Americans don't really understand is that in Islam, one of the basic rules is, you know, when you're talking to a fellow Islam, you need to be honest. But when you're talking to an infidel, you can do anything you want. You can tell them whatever they want to hear, but you do not need to honor it because... They're subhuman. They're not Islam. As long as they're subhuman, you don't have to honor what you're saying to them. And I don't think people understand that. They don't understand it. In fact, I can challenge anybody to try it. They will lie to you when you ask them about the main things in Islam. If you say, uh, what is Allah? They will say, oh, Allah is God. Okay, go ahead and try it. Next time you run into a Muslim, say, what does Allah mean? They will tell you, Allah means God. Okay, next question. How do I become a Muslim? They will be glad to tell you, the way you become a Muslim, say after them, I declare there is no God but Allah. I say, hold on a second here. You said 
Allah means God. Why can't I say, I declare there is no God but God? You have no problem with a Christian saying, I declare there is no God but God, right? Yep. So why do I have to say Allah? No, no, no. I'm going to say, I declare there is no God but God. He will say, well, you haven't converted to Islam. Well, you told me Allah means God. It doesn't mean God. Allah is the name of a deity. Why can't I declare Jehovah? I declare there is no God but Jehovah. You can sing the song that you sing normally in the church. There's no God like Jehovah. That's not accepted. But you told me that the God of Islam is the same as the God of the Bible. Well, that's how you nail him. He won't be able to escape. But you got to know how to ask the right questions to figure out the deception. Yeah. You know, um, Ahmadinejad, um, I noticed uh, Nancy Pelosi, high up in our government, visited the Middle East a few times, and right around there, and then right after there, Ahmadinejad visited Turkey, and then he visited Venezuela. That's, And right after Pelosi did that, and Ahmadinejad did this, um, Turkey went to war in northern Iraq, and, and the oil prices went crazy, uh, and then Venezuela, uh, Hugo Chavez started... Um, Crowding into Colombia. Colombia has a great president, and, and they got a good system. And I, they've gotten coordinated with the guerrillas there. And uh, I think there's like a big global effort to undermine mankind going on. Yes, absolutely. Turkey is very interested in uh, the Kurdish country in the, the Mosul area, and so is Iran is interested in Iraq and the, and the oil fields and all these things. Yes. And uh, let's not kid ourselves. If the United States of America decides to listen to Nancy Pelosi, who wore who wore a hijab, covered her hair when she visited Syria, <laughs> submitting to Islam. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, once they listen to her, and this God forbid, this next administration comes out to be uh, our friend uh, Hussein Barack Obama. Obama yeah, Hussein geez, Obama. No fooling. Then you will have a pull out of Iraq and you'll have Iran entering fairly quickly, or Turkey entering into the Mosul district fairly quickly. I'm on record now. See when it happens. Give me a call. Yeah. And, you know? and what happens to United States when that happens? Is, that it, happens? is it better for us, or is it worse for us? What does that seem like? It's much worse for us, because what happens is that as Iran becomes a superpower, you have to have a response from the Sunni world, because the Shia and the Sunni were always at each other's throats. Sure. They are two competitors. If they're yeah. in Iraq, they're competing with each other in the election. They kill each other from the eons of time. That will never have a peace agreement between the Shia and the Sunni. So you have a, a resurgence of a superpower in uh, in Iran. Yes. Who's going to respond to this superpower with nuclear from the Sunni perspective? Saudi Arabia. We have three candidates. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Turkey. Those are the basically three candidates that are on the table. And they're all asking for nuclear rights, all of them. They're asking for the rights to build nuclear. So if Iran succeeds in building the nuclear, and you pull out of Iraq, and guess what? They're going to be next in building nuclear. And then they would have to elect one of them to become the, basically, the new bully from the Sunni perspective, and that would be Turkey. Then you will have a competition in the Middle East of power, Whenever there is voids in the Middle East, something must fill it. In Lebanon, there is a void of power, so Hezbollah will take over. Mm-hmm. In the Palestinian areas, there was a void of power. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas had no strength. 
something filled that power, that's Hamas, and the same thing in Turkey, the same thing in all these countries. You know, it's so emotional-driven over there. It's not, you know, let's let's think things out and let's think what's going to happen, and it's so much that, you know, it doesn't matter how many die, you know, the more who die yeah. for all, it's just fine. It's emotional. You, you know, so you get nuclear and you get this, who's going to have the greater power between the two sides of the Islamic forces, and, uh, you know, something's going to go off pretty fast. Right. I mean, the Muslim argument is, why can't we have nuclear? The U.S. has nuclear. France has nuclear. Yeah. England has nuclear. Why can't we have nuclear? Yeah, the answer is because you're, you're just wigged out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, That's the answer. We've got to take a break here. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charme Amber. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest today, Waleed Chuba, Why I Left Jihad. My goodness, interesting information, you guys. We need to pay attention to this. Let us not stick our head in the sand. Stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> 